What he's really excellent at is analyzing the competitive analysis and um, what, uh, what his customers are saying. So every time there's been a new order, it's, oh, I should improve this. Oh, the strap should be thicker. Oh, it should. Hey everyone, it's Norm Ferrar, aka The Beard Guy here, and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing streamlining product development from your idea to the conception. And we're also going to be talking about how to reduce time and costs uh, during the uh, idea to conception stage. And we're going to be talking about advice for expanding uh, your product line and how sellers can be more efficient uh, with their supply chain management. All right. Welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Okay, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about streamlining your product development. We're also going to be getting into some supply chain and streamlining your supply chain management. Our guest is co-founder of both Gimba Inc. and Pride Bites Pet Products. He is an expert in product development and supply chain strategy. And over his career, he's owned and operated business that have uh, designed, manufactured, and sold millions of dollars in consumer products uh, all over the world. And uh, he's an awesome guy as well. So happy to have him on the podcast today. And we're talking about Stephen Bluestein. So he'll be on in a second. Let's just go over to a sponsor. This episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by VAA Philippines. Looking for a high quality virtual assistant for your business? With the rigorous screening, intensive Amazon and Walmart training, and ongoing professional development, get the peace of mind with skill and motivated virtual assistants for a long term working relationship. Hire through VAA today. And now let's get back to the show. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Norm, for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's no problem. What time is it, by the way? Uh, it's midnight. A little <laughs> after midnight, actually. <laughs> All right. I tried to do it around but, 2 o'clock. But anything o'clock. for you, really, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> so, again, I like to say uh like when we talk about uh guests there's so many guests that i've been able to meet at events and we were able to uh spend some time i think the first time we really hung out was at the bdss uh when we were out on that boat and <laughs> got to talk to you and you know really get to know you a bit and then i mean you have such an amazing story first of all one of the cool things that I think we should talk about. Probably everybody knows the product that you designed, but let's talk about this for a second. You were on Shark Tank. I was, I was, I was on Shark Tank. How was that? Um, it was uh, everything that I dreamed that it would be, honestly. Uh, are you kidding or are you? Uh... <laughs> uh, 100% serious, actually. I, I didn't want to go on. Um, yeah. And my business partner actually is the the one who really kind of drove that and, um, you know, have a lot of appreciation for him. And, um, you know, afterwards, I think um, a lot of things can kickstart your career. And I never thought of a TV show would do that for me. But um, in reality, it it really did and uh, helped us, one, scale the business really quickly and two, um, learn from a lot of mistakes, I think. And, 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 you know, I think that's that's the way you learn, right, is is you make a lot of mistakes quickly and, and, yeah. and fall fast and then get on your feet. So I, I'm really appreciative of the experience, experience so overall. Who was your partner? Uh, I actually had uh, two sharks. So uh, both Lori and Robert. Oh, okay. Very good. A Canadian in there. That's right. That's right. A Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and are they still both involved with the business? Uh, Lori, uh, we talked to, um, uh, pretty often, um, but Robert, we don't talk to um, at much at all. So um, they've been very, very supportive and um, great to have them as partners. Okay. If you don't mind, like some people are pretty shy about it. I don't think you are, but can yeah. you tell us about your product? Like what? And I, I, I know the product, but uh, 
I think it's super cool. What What is your product, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so we customize pet products. And um, at the time of Shark Tank, which I think a lot of people don't talk about either, um, our product was direct to consumer. And then um, we've actually evolved. So we don't sell direct to consumer in through about 2,000 retailers um, throughout North America. So um, while it was one thing at one time, um, now, now obviously it's retail focus. That's interesting that you say that because um, we've been telling a lot of, well, anybody who wants to listen, that you're going to be in D2C or you're going to be working with Amazon and that Those might be where, you, where your start is. But retail, it, like so many Amazon sellers or online sellers think retail is dead. And that's just completely wrong. Like being able to take that and shift and get into retail, that's where you see these big POs. The, the, the problem is, you just have to understand the cash flow and how that works. So did you have any problems getting into retail or because of the funding you were able to just sail into it? Uh, no, certainly not a sail into it phase, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of pounding the pavement, um, sending a lot of samples, um, doing yep. a lot of extensive follow-up and um, really continuing to work the buyer. So when one buyer leaves, work the next buyer that comes in their place. And um, with that, you know, we were able to expand uh, pretty quickly. So I'm very fortunate of, of, you know, the team that we have and the persistence that they have as well, which led us to, to get into all these stores. All right, very good. Now, the product was very innovative, uh, the, one, the one that I saw. So let's start talking about that. Uh, product innovation. Where do you even start? If you have an idea, what do you do? Where's a great starting point? Yeah, I start off with a piece of paper. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody today who had a great idea and um, they, they told me that, you know, they're, they come from a long line of inventors and, uh, you know, wh where should they start? And I said, you know, um, take your idea, take the ideas that you have and write out the good and the bad and all the key features that you think and the problems that it solves. And um, from there, I think you can really assess how it fits in the marketplace. Um, but it's really the initial stage of just getting your ideas out on paper. And I think a lot of people take that for granted of just seeing what you're thinking in your head out on a piece of paper so that you can actually review that and really make sense of it. And things start coming to life after that happens. So um, I often say that that's, that's kind of the first place that I start. It's just really taking a, a sheet of paper and just really just brain dumping all your ideas on that paper. And then once you do this, uh, do you go out to a focus group or do you go out to a group uh, like Usability Hub, PickFu, uh, Product Pinion, ask questions? How do you know that the decisions you're making on your own are really what's what the market would like? Wow. Yeah, certainly um, love PickFu. I think that's a great uh, tool to use. Um, in general, I start with friends and family. You mm -hmm. know, I think friends and family, um, as long as they're honest, <laughs> I think that they're a, a great source of reality. Um, because oftentimes they're going to say, you know, they're, they're going to challenge you more than anybody else on your idea. And right. so I often start with them and see, you know, what you think of it. And maybe not necessarily whether you buy or not, but what you just think of it. And then I think the next phase, you know, when you start using something like a PickFu or a Google Consumer Surveys, um, you know, you're really now focused on in on the product of what the, the, the final product actually is. And you're getting feedback on that final product. But I think in the initial stages, using your friends and families as a, a place to bounce ideas off is a great place to start. Well, and I guess the other thing, too, uh, we know, I think we both preach this, that Me Too products probably not the way to go on Amazon if you want to you know, really thrive. Uh, but the reality is when you come up with a custom product, there's going to be a much higher cost associated with that. So sure. when does it click in your mind when it's, all right, this sounds great. I've done my competitive research uh, and now I'm willing to spend some dollars on molds or whatever it's going to be. I think it's validating <clears throat> first, like, you know, going through the friends and family test. Um, mm -hmm. After you go through the friends and family test, I think it's validating it against the market. 
So you put it on kind of a product plane and see what other competitors are out there versus what your product is. Um, and you know, my father always told me that uh, you should hit them where they ain't, right? So the, the first thing is to identify a blue ocean, right? If, if you can identify a blue ocean, meaning there's nobody in that space and you've already checked off the friends and family, I'm inclined to tell you to like start investing in the product on a, on a small scale to start testing it. However, I think um, in, in a lot of aspects of things, it's not common to find the complete blue ocean. So you're testing a variety of things, whether you're in a specific price point bracket or a quality bracket or a value bracket, right? Like in terms of what the overall purchase is. Um, and so once we kind of have that down um, and you understand the scale within that bracket, and if it's something that's substantial, um, then I think it's worthy to test. But I always really push people in this stage. Um, you would think that somebody who's in a product development business would want you to go into product development so quickly. Um, but actually, I challenge people the most in this phase because we know how many people start the product development journey but may never finish. Right. Right. So that's actually more costly than anything that you can get into. So in that case, I'd say is you find, you know, kind of find your niche, um, define the pros and cons in that niche, um, validate them with friends and family, um, understand that there's scale enough to make a sizable return, specifically on a first order. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in terms of whether or not you're looking at a realistic investment, uh, given the opportunity or not. And I, I think that's something that people um, maybe skip past is, they have the opportunity. They're not necessarily understanding the market in terms of scale or possibility. And they do the first part where they start getting some yeses from a family and friends crowd, and then they jump into the product development. But I'd actually like one more phase, which is really kind of pushing through and testing yourself on what you're thinking about with scale. And I think if you can do that, then um, checking all of those boxes, in my opinion, you're ready to kind of move forward to test a essentially a minimum order quantity. You know, one of the things that, um, that uh, always worries me is that, you know, what I think is going to be a hit, you know, even if it's first base or second base, <clears throat> that's great. But if I strike out, uh, that's one that always hurts. So you've done a lot of product development in your life. What do you do if it's, you don't get the same results. Do you cut it off right away? Do you go back to the drawing board? Do you try to um, stick with it for a while? What's your thought process? You know, I think it's, it's um, my first thought, thought process is um, why is it failing? Right. You know, why, why aren't people actually buying? Do you have that knowledge or do you not? And um, if you don't have that knowledge, then the question is, is are you not, tapped into the proper consumer data that you need to receive in order to make sound judgments. Um, if you are, then I think the question is, is it a product line expansion issue? Is it you're on the wrong product or maybe you're too early with that product um, and really sizing up the market overall? Um, but oftentimes I like to fail fast. Um, right. If I don't see the traction that I like, um, even though like, you know, with our product, it took us a good five years to really understand whether or not we were fit within the marketplace. We had to go to a number of trade shows. We had to test a number of buyers. In, in our case, we got a lot of sell through really quickly, actually, and then hit kind of a lull and then expanded product line and changed a little bit of our approach and then found that other increase that we were looking to hit. So some of it is gut. Some of it is listening to the data. Some of it is positioning and whether there's a product line expansion that can help you identify something in the market that actually is a need. If you presented something that may be some sort of a subset of a need. So it's really kind of filtering through these different issues. Again, I think it's putting them on paper and sizing them up and understanding what you're up against to be able to make the right decision as an entrepreneur on whether or not you're going to continue to go down that path or not. So um, not such a straight line answer. It's definitely a little bit of a, a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit from here, um, depending on your risk tolerance, right? If you have a greater risk tolerance, you're going to stay in that, what we call it, stay in the box for a longer period of time. If you don't have a high risk tolerance, then 
cutting bait quickly is something that I would suggest in that sense, whereas you're going to come up with a lot of other ideas. So something could hit, but maybe this one is not the best idea that you had. So I think there's a lot of different variations in that answer, um, but ultimately it's up to that entrepreneur to kind of read the, the feeling and the data and make the best judgment based on that data. Very good. Uh, one of the things uh, that this goes back, we have a dream client. So in our managed services side, uh, this guy has, he's a physiotherapist and okay. he's never done anything. He's never designed anything. And then he thought of something that could help his, his clients out. And he put it into market last year. Uh, the first seven months, he sold uh, about a million million two, I believe he's at the 2 million mark now. And what he does, he is, and he doesn't think of himself this way, which is kind of interesting. And the why, reason why I call him a dream client is that he, he listens to people that have the expertise. He makes his, he makes the final decision, but what he's really excellent at is analyzing the competitive analysis and, um, what, uh, what his customers are saying. So every time there's been a new order, it's, oh, I should improve this. Oh, the strap should be thicker. Oh, it should be a two inch. And if he's listening, I'm not going to tell your brand, but a two inch anchor. Oh, and he just really improves every single, even the aesthetics, you know, where the logo should be. And you, I've constantly seen. So when we've when we've had a dip in sales because comp competitors have come on, um, he's come back. He's he's looked at those competitors. He's improved way more. He's provided bonus gifts. He's provided or not even gifts, but instructions on how to use it and full workouts. Anyways, I love it. I mean, this is what we all should be doing. And I know that I probably don't do it as much as I should, but it is part of our routine to go back and check reviews and just, you know, try to beat up the competition a bit and just have a better product. Do you, do you go back like your, your products that you have very successful product line? Do you go back and are you constantly revising it or is it pretty much I've done this enough? I'm the leader out there. I'm the innovator and I'm just letting it fly. Well, we certainly uh, preach in our business to not be complacent. I think that's uh, right. really important as an entrepreneur is, is constantly thinking about how to innovate. Um, in our case, I think, you know, we, we are um, really kind of a, a really niche market in B2B pet, right? There's not a lot of custom B2B pet out there. And so um, we started off with the Pride Bike, which was um, really kind of a different product on the market. It was a foam-based dog toy. Um, that was pretty durable, could handle 55 pounds of pressure pull, um, could float, was machine washable. A lot of elements of that that were really great. Um, after we launched, we won best new product of the year in the pet space. Um, and before us, really, like, you know, really mainstay products like the Kong came before yeah. us, those types of products. So really cool to be mentioned alongside those types of products. And I think what we were thinking about in terms of developing it was um, we want to make it stronger. Right. You want to make it, um, you know, give it more features in terms of like what can you do with the foam? What what elements do you have with it? So we definitely went from a 1.0 to a 2.0 with the product. And I think that's key. I think a lot of people that come to us at Gemba, actually, they come to us thinking that their first product is going to be their home run. When in reality, when you make your first product, you're actually immediately thinking about version two. And as you're like midway through that product. So I think you definitely iterate to make things better, looking at quantitative and qualitative data, but ultimately release more products in the product line, which address the concerns from the qualitative issues that we were receiving. And, and, and with that actually gave people a, an ability to have more choices um, from eco-friendly to getting into cat products to um, getting into um, clothing, which I think was a big deal. So in our case at Pride Bites, one, I, I, I definitely think you should listen to the reviews, qualitative and quantitative. Look at all the research. Um, don't be afraid to adapt your product. Um, but in that sense that if you feel like the product is widely adopted, um, in our case, our Pride Bite has sold a well over two, 10 million products at this point. So um, for us, it wasn't about creating new. Sometimes you have to understand that 
you're not serving every client. That's a really hard thing to kind of bite off at the beginning is like, if you feel like someone says a no, is it because they're not your addressable market? Is it because they don't like your products? You got to really dig deep and get that feedback to really understand what you're doing with that product. If I'm selling to a 150 pound dog, who's going to rip my product up in at least one second. And the owner is not educated enough to really understand that I have to one either change the education, right. Um, or fit a new market, create a new product line. That's going to address the market. That's the tough chewer in that sense, because my, my pride bite's never going to get there in terms of being that product line. So again, you know, back to kind of reviewing the data, I think your client is amazing, right? That's exactly how you should be is, looking at the data, seeing how you can evolve 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. But if you start reaching that point where you're reaching mass and you're still getting some quantitative and qualitative data that you don't like, the question is just, can you address it um, by fitting another product in the line or, or moving um, a product in the line um, of that variation? So I think that's a little bit of kind of how we work with things on our side um, while receiving the quantitative and qualitative data. Got it. Okay. We are close to the bottom of the hour. <clears throat> By the way, is Heinrich and Zach like looking at you, making faces, <laughs> waving their arms, uh, or are, are you by yourself? Yeah, I'm actually in China right now, um, visiting our suppliers, uh, our team here. We have quite a few members of our team here in China. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so unfortunately right now they're not, but if I was in Austin, they would certainly be making faces at me right now. I, I thought they would. <laughs> <laughs> okay so at the bottom of the hour if, if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast uh we have something called the wheel of kelsey so all it is if you want to enter this is a giveaway it's hashtag wheel of kelsey tag two people you'll get a second entry and today we've got a really great 500 value um uh giveaway ken steven let's talk about what that giveaway is absolutely yeah so um today um, we have brand.gimba.com. It's um, the first marketplace for um, new product concepts. So if you're looking to ideate or have a new product concept that you're looking to launch or trying to get something new onto the market, it's a great way. It's really cool. Go to brand.gimba.com, scroll through the pages, see the products you like. Um, today, we're giving away a free product reservation. So you can reserve any product you want and make it yours. Um, once you hit that reserve button, it gets removed from the marketplace and actually is your product itself. Um, as long as you comply and move into sampling in the required time, it stays with you. If you don't comply, obviously, it would be moved back to the marketplace. So um, great value. Really cool. If you're having ideas and you don't know what you're on to and you're kind of looking for things or different ideas, it's a great way to jog your ideas and provide something that um, uh, that's completely new that you can move into um, to develop it yourself. That's fantastic. So that is hashtag Wheel of Kelsey. Tag two people and you'll get a chance uh, for this great giveaway. All right, Kels, put your finger on that button and let's go to a sponsor. This episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by SureGo Marketing. Ready to take your brand to the next level on TikTok and Instagram? SureGo Marketing specializes in helping entrepreneurs and coaches build profitable brands on TikTok and Instagram and in less than 90 days. With SureGo Marketing, you can build your brand, create incredible video content, and increase leads without spending a single dime on ad spend. Visit SureGoMarketing.com today and elevate your brand. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, Kels, can you just put uh, uh, brand.gimba.com in there? Uh, oh, all right. He's reading my mind. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes he does his job. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. But, uh, you know, the, the other thing, listening to you, the other thing that I hear is that you really have to know that audience. So building out a persona or just doing that research. So if you're if your product is geared towards the St. Bernard, you're not targeting the Chihuahua owner, you know? And, and I think that's Correct. so important that a lot of sellers still, I, I believe, I don't have stats on this, but I just the ones that I've talked to, a lot of sellers don't do enough research or don't understand who is, who's buying their product. And that persona is so important. 
Yeah, I think also how they're using the product, right? In our case, um, at Prybytes, we got hung up on um, do our customers sell the product to make a profit or do our customers give away the products um, as a form of marketing? And I think that's also the case, right? Like we're targeting buyers. And so buyers is a kind of a uniform customer, but the use of the product sometimes changes in terms of how we think about it. So um, just another aspect, maybe um, if somebody's not necessarily only direct consumer or also using retail, um, just another way to think about it. Right. Okay. Let's talk about uh, how sellers can reduce time and cost during the ideation or conception stage. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, one way obviously is is, is our solution at brand.com.com. But um, I, I think we see a lot of people getting hung up here. So right. um, it's, hey, I don't, I don't necessarily, I have an idea. I haven't fleshed it out yet. So um, I go back to the days of kind of just going through magazines and uh, cutting out different images, different words, different things, and kind of clipboarding, uh, you know, your, your overall ideas. And um, I think people don't think about that enough, but kind of building your persona that way, um, understanding kind of the aspects of the features that are in the marketplace as well, kind of going through the other competitors that are out there and really understanding where the hits and misses are in those products and that qualitative data that's pr provided. Um, and allows you to kind of ideate faster once you get everything out in front of you and you can kind of see it visually. Um, then it will allow you kind of to put it out on paper. And what we're telling people nowadays, like especially since um, AI is, 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 is being such a surge in the marketplace is write your prompt. Mm -hmm. Write your prompt for what you think your product could look like or what you want it to look like. And that's actually a great way to start, whether it's you're giving it to a designer or you're doing it yourself and you're going to source it all the way through. Um, either way, I think writing the prompt actually helps you get in the mindset to be able to explain to somebody directly what's my story of the product, um, which, which ultimately will cut down on your cost and your time. Right. So not only in the conception side and writing a really good specific prompt uh, for uh, for ChatGPT, for Persona, or for uh, how you, you can stand out in the marketplace, but also on the image side. So if you're looking for conceptions or just, you know, some some thoughts on drawings, uh, do you ever go down the mid-journey route and say, this is what I'm looking for that, and just have it, uh, just kind of have a visual so you can present it to uh, a company like you? Yeah, I think mid-journey is a great way. Um, I think all the generative AI tools are really interesting. Um, I think, you know, we kind of take it one step further and provide those into our design network and then let actual designers kind of take those images and make them final products, which I think is kind of the one caveat that Midjourney is missing is, mm -hmm. is kind of that tie into realization of um, can that product actually come to life or not? Um, in our case, what we're doing is having factories kind of support that. So presenting ideas, um, if we're using some sort of tool to help people get to those ideas or designers to get to those ideas, that's okay. Um, but we want a, a factory really to back them and say, we can make this product. You know, and, and not only can we make this product, but here are the unit economics behind it. And I think that's really important. I think that that step really solidifies um, not just the idea, but actually that it's a, a real functional product that can come to life. Um, so I definitely suggest that it's, it's kind of a final step in the journey. But mid-journey is a great way to get your point across um, to your designers and kind of speed up the overall mindset that you're looking um, to provide in that case. It's interesting that you said, you know, can it be truly functional? Because I've seen some incredibly uh, awesome images, but you know, uh, just uh, let's say from uh, a practical standpoint, there's no way that it could be developed. I mean, there's just no way the construction of the product couldn't hold up, but the image of it, whoo, it's a home run. <laughs> right. But, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you're like, uh, if you're making a, you know, a handheld uh, leash or a retractable leash, when the, the button to click it is on the other side of the products, it's not going to be functional, right? Yeah, so, or it's for your little it, finger. Or it's exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we see a lot of great things with MidJourney and our clients definitely present us a lot of MidJourney items. But I think it's that last step in that process that solidifies it. So um, definitely good tools to use, but I think it's the next phase of it that makes it a reality. Right. 
Okay, so let's talk a, a little bit about advice. Uh, what advice do you have uh, for sellers to help expand their product line? So they've got a, a, a really great couple of products out there. How do you expand it? You know, I, I, I keep hammering on the, the idea of like getting your ideas on paper. Um, a lot of times our customers are coming to us before they're doing a lot of planning themselves. So I think, you know, I always like to build the plane and in that plane, I like to put your competitors and to really understand what feature sets they have and get really almost obsessive with who your competition is and what they're doing. Um, and when you do that and you understand where they're not fitting the market, you'll then learn where you need to address things. Um, and then it goes back to your style, right? So, um, you take some of these great brands that have developed amazing products and, and, and they're kind of building this, this format where they all kind of build on each other. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes people leave out where it fits amongst your product plane. And so I think that's also important to think through, I made this one product now, I'm not going to be a one product brand. I'm going to be a multi-product brand. Mm -hmm. So where does it fit in my ideas for myself? So Maybe it's first understanding the comp competition and then understanding your own journey yourself and what you're thinking through and seeing how that overlays. And then once you see how that overlays, I think you'll start exposing areas where you say, okay, great. Like after I now research this, I see what the scale is in this next product because it doesn't lay within any other competition. Doesn't it, 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 it parlays on myself, right? It, it kind of adds to my, my own value. It's, it's something that's a derivative of what I'm doing. Um, in terms of style, and then allows me to kind of build the building blocks of what I need to continue to build up that product line. So that's that's kind of how we think about it in that sense. Um, and we research based on the first product that's available. So um, if you went out and you made a speaker, right, like a Bluetooth speaker, what things kind of go alongside that, right, to, to define that product? Um, first, we would, again, define the competition, define their feature set, and then after that, kind of look at your own function, think of the things that you're com first come to mind, things that fit in the plane, and then continue to research within those product lines to figure out, again, what feature set do you think that you should go with as you're expanding that product line? So kind of a three-step function. Um, look introvert, look extrovert, and then build out from a function of saying what you think and back it up by research. All right. Awesome. Okay. Uh I just want to shout out to the uh, listeners that if you do have any questions uh, about product innovation, we're going to get into some supply chain uh, information in a second, but anything that you've heard about, uh, heard uh, Stephen talk about, you know, just ask, uh, he's an expert. Uh, just love to hear from you. And I know that we've got a question in right now, which we'll get to at the top of the hour. However, um, if you do have questions, now's the time. Uh, Stephen is an expert in, uh, product innovation, bringing products to market. Uh, so just wanted to give a shout out there just in case you do have uh, uh, questions about that. Now let's move into some supply chain uh, issues. So how can sellers be uh, more efficient uh, when they're working with supply chain? Uh, how can they be more efficient with supply chain? I mean, there's always that kind of the age old, whether it's purchasing, whether it's negotiations, um, whether it's timing, um, understanding kind of the pace of your market and the growth rate of your market. So I think there's kind of the fundamentals to think through about um, how you keep your supply chain moving, right? Like um, if I place an order today, when would I get it from the factory? What's their turn over time? Um, do they have the materials on hand if I need to place an order quickly? So there's a lot of fundamental questions I think that you can work out for your brand ahead of time. So you understand kind of where your positioning is and how you have to develop your supply chain. Um, and then, once you see kind of the holes in your supply chain, whether it's taking too long, whether you don't have a high turnover, um, whether um, you don't have the proper materials on hand, then you can look at those issues that you've defined and see how you can fill the gap within those issues um, from a wide range of functions to answer those, those problems. So um, I think the first thing is really being, um, you know, the, what we say at, at, at Gemba is kind of doing a, um, a, a an autopsy without blame, right? So kind of go through your autopsy of your current supply chain of all the places that you think you could improve on mm -hmm. to first understand kind of the direction that you're going to move in. Okay. 
All right. So uh, one thing I want to just circle back on, because you're one of these guys, you're very personable. And I want to just go back to Shark Tank. And this is kind of a general, uh, general question. So there's another listener that's uh, a regular here, Simon, and he was on Dragon's Den. So that was in the UK. So uh, anyways, I find that people that are going out there a lot of the times looking for private equity, uh, some form of funding anyways, it's you have an advantage if you are a bit more of an ex- extrovert, if you can go out there and talk. Like you must have been nervous talking in front of, you know, uh, the shark tank. But do you think your personality or the ability to uh, talk about your your product or I guess long what am I trying to say? Should you have a spokesperson talk about your product that is passionate if you can, uh, if you're going for funding or maybe you're an introvert. And the reason why I'm saying this is if you can't bring out the passion in the product, you're the brains, but you can't, you, you just don't have that personality. Is it worth getting somebody to be the face to pitch? And it's completely off topic. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's a good idea, honestly. Um, you know, when we are thinking about Shark Tank, we are thinking about kind of four options in the tank. Um, you get a deal and you look good, which is yep. the best option. But you always right? look good. Just smile Thank and wave. <laughs> I appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you get a deal and look bad, which which yep. we've seen a lot of people not recover from that. Um, yep. You don't get to look good. You don't get a deal and look bad. Right. So we want to be in this quadrant of, you have to assess it from, you know, what you're into and know that, yeah, you're going to have to be bubbly. You're going to have to be overly extroverted, regardless if that's how you want to be or not. That's what the show requires, right? And so I think um, if you're not that person, then, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, go out and find somebody who is that person who sells you well um, and kind of gives you a better light than what you feel like you would do, especially if you're going to be too nervous to put it forward. Now, mm. we practiced 150 to 200 times before we went into the tank. So my other part of this comment would be is practice. Like, this is your one shot yeah, don't wing it. on the biggest stage of your life. <laughs> don't screw it up. Right. You know, like, yeah. make sure you're good and, and practice a lot. So um, oh. we certainly did that on our side. And uh, I definitely would recommend that for anybody else. Um, not just a shark tank, but um, any pitch that you're going to go into, um, you know, big or small, um, yeah. to be prepared. I mean, that, that's what we say at, at Gamba, at nonstop is um, we might be, we may look young. So we want to be overly prepared when we get to the table to know that we are the most prepared person in the room when you meet us. And I think that goes the same thing when you're either in shark tank or pitching in front of any investor. Great answer. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just so interesting. And I wonder how personal I want this wonder what the stats are. So I used to uh I used to I kind of fell into this, but there was um a venture capitalist that was out there. And anyways, I got to sit in uh on a ton of his business meetings. So okay. people that were pitching him, okay, he's gonna fund this thing, but uh or uh anyways, I would just sit in. And for about 20 or 30 of these pitches, uh, you know, he'd, he'd asked me what I thought about it. We just, we just got to know each other and we just kind of hit it off. And then eventually he got me to sit in and do all the talking and ask all the questions. And what I found was the people that were engaging, even though they might have a poor product or they didn't know their numbers or they just couldn't explain it properly, but were passionate, had more of an opportunity than the programmer who just couldn't express his feelings or his passion. And uh, I, I just think it's so important that you have to look at that and practice, practice, practice. Uh, you know, it, it helps. It, 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 like 200 times, you probably did it 201 times, but, uh, you know, anyways, I, I just wanted to bring it out. I know it's a completely different rabbit hole, but you're one of the guys that, uh, that have come on to the podcast that have gone through that. And I wanted to bring that out to all the listeners. 
So anyways, I know that we got a, a couple of questions here. So why don't we jump over there? Actually, we got a few sure. questions now. All right. Yeah, we got filled up with questions here uh, from Dennis. I already have a product idea. Will Gemba be helpful to make that idea come to life? And if so, how? Uh, did you yeah, plant that guy, by the way? <laughs> I'm going to say, is that is that uh, Henrik? <laughs> no, that, that's Dennis. Uh, <laughs> the next one's uh, Zach, by the way. So just, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, Dennis, thanks for your question, man. Um, yeah, so um, our traditional business is helping people um, go from idea from a back of the napkin to the shelf. Um, so we can certainly help you um, formulate that. We have um, over 300 designers in our network, over 3,000 factories in our network, um, and a great team of um, great project managers who really understand launching products. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's um, no problem at all. It's what we do every single day is um, bring ideas to life. Okay, great. Uh, okay, from Neil, or AKA Wish I Was Mark Cuban, uh, what is the minimum cost <laughs> to develop a new product properly? Thousands of dollars, tens of tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we think of things kind of on um, three different product planes. So we have white label products. These are products that um, you can buy, you know, you can choose from a factory catalog, brand it yourself and put it out in the market. Um, we have custom products. Those are things that are white label that you slightly adjust, but you don't have to adjust the molds of them. Um, and then again, brand them your way and launch them in the market. And finally, you have unique products. So things that have never before been on the market, never been sold and developing it from scratch. Um, those are your most expensive products by far. Um, custom, slightly different. I would say that's more in the $10,000 range um, on a custom product um, with everything that you need from ordering, et cetera. Um, and then white label, I'd say is, you know, in your kind of um, thousands of dollars range where it's um, identifying something that's already on the market, um, finding a good factory partner and then branding it for you. Um, so kind of three different approaches, one that's kind of lower cost, one that's kind of middle cost, and one that's obviously, you know, pretty expensive in terms of um, developing it from scratch and something that's unique. So um, just different options that you can have um, if you want to go down that journey. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, from Spencer, uh, when developing a product, how do you learn the customer pain points? You know, I think things um, like PicFu um, and other of those consumer data analytics tools are a fantastic way to learn consumer pain points. Uh, um, going through and look at qualitative data, um, all things that are um, great tools for you to really understand um, how consumers are reacting to that product overall. Um, then, of course, I think it's just um, your own focus groups or things of that nature. We, you know, when I first launched my products, we did our own focus groups, we would go down uh, downtown in Austin and we would actually like hand out these flyers to say, um, are you willing to accept $50 to come sit with us for 10 minutes um, to give us your feedback on our product? Um, so there's a lot of different ways to, to get product feedback um, from online tools to being in person. But the most important thing is that you collect it. Yeah, and something else that you can do is when you're developing this product, you've probably got a similar product out in the market that you just want to build the better mousetrap. And so you can do your competitive analysis over there, look at their positive, negative um, uh, reviews, just take a look at their overall listings. And you can add that as a source uh, when you're trying to develop the better product. So that, that's something else you can do. It's a great idea. Okay, we have two more here. Uh, another one from Neil. What if we already have a product, but we want to find a new supplier with better quality? and also outside of China. Can Gemba help us with that too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have offices in China, um, Vietnam, India, Mexico, and South America. So um, we work a lot with people that um, already have a design, um, are currently producing the product and need to relocate their supply chain, or they wanna use a multi-level supply chain. So um, they wanna feed in uh, materials from one location um, with um, the physical labor in another location, and then maybe packaging all up and filling it from another location. So um, we're really agnostic. Um, we want to go in and analyze what we think is best for the given situation um, and, and really develop your supply chain that way. So, um, yeah, that, that's a that's a really great question in terms of developing outside of China. Um, we see that a lot more nowadays. Um, I'm super high on India. 
Um, just got back from there, um, had a great, great time there, meeting a lot of different suppliers. We had some suppliers from India come to Austin. Um, I think if you, if you haven't looked at India yet, um, it's, it's, it's definitely a great new frontier to think about. Right. All right. Last question, Kels. All right. Last question is from Rad. Um, what are your thoughts about launching uh, products through Kickstarter or Indiegogo? I think it's awesome. Um, you know, I've never been able to be successful on those platforms, but um, if, if you really understand marketing and scaling, um, you know, videos and getting the ideas out there and using multiple different angles, um, I think it's awesome. I mean, it, those platforms were developed to really inspire and, and motivate different entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, you, you go about it by any means necessary if you're in that that boat. And, um, you know, I, I, I slept on couches and ate ramen noodles for more, more than six months when I first started my product line to get it off the ground and do whatever I could to, to do that. So, um, you know, I, I always tell people is is really, in your case, what whatever by whatever means necessary to, to get it off the ground. So uh, whether it's Indiegogo or whether it's Kickstarter or any of those other uh, methods, um, by all means, uh, whatever works. Perfect. Chuck just snuck one in. All right. <laughs> All right, Chuck, we'll get it. Um, I have a product in my niche that I would believe would solve a big problem, but it's complicated and not on the market. How do I go about tackling this product without selling the farm for testing the market? Yeah, that's interesting. So I talked to a doctor this morning who had a, a, a pretty similar issue. And, um, you know, I think it's it's an eye of the beholder, uh, essentially. So all the things I told you today, which is get it on paper, put it on the product plane, put it on the competitor plane, put it, understand all the attributes and the feature sets and all the things that are missing in the market, right? Um, understanding where you're going back from there. But these are the types of products that, you know, you take a risk on. Um, and what I would say is you're really focused on not, you know, uh, getting a lower MOQ, a lower minimum order quantity, and maybe testing it from samples at first. So you don't have to make a, a big jump into that investment that, that you need to. And at Gembo, we always say this, like we're really agnostic in terms of um, how much people order. We, we want you at the beginning to order less because that's the best financial decision. It's the smartest decision to make. If you haven't launched a product before, it's never been on the market, you haven't done a lot of consumer testing, then you wanna make the least investment possible to see if you can make the most money. I mean, it's just common sense. So in our case, we're a big fan of that here. And I think um, in this case, if it's super complicated, you're, you're trying to do anything you can to kind of root out the complication. So whether it's 3D printing, whether it's using a CNC machine to finalize the product um, or other ways that you don't have to invest a ton of money at seeing that final product and testing it on the marketplace. Um, that's what we suggest because in, in this case, you're kind of um, in a gray area um, and you need to kind of define that moment, whether it's black or white, and then move into that area to, to really scale the product line. So um, taking baby steps, um, trying to get it out there as best you can, getting it into maybe prototype form or sampling form and getting a ton of feedback and then moving from there. Very good. Okay. So uh, you got about a minute to put in the uh, giveaway for today. That's hashtag Wheel of Kelsey. Tag two people. You get a second entry. And we've got a great giveaway from Gimba today. And uh, it's at a $500 value. So uh, Kels, oh, no. Why don't we talk about the Gimba contact information? How about that, Stephen? Awesome. Yeah. So um, if you want to get in touch with us, um, really simple. Um, either go to Gimba.com or brand.gimba.com and fill out our form to get in touch with us. Um, when you do that, somebody gets them back in touch with you within a couple hours. So I'm um, pretty quick in that sense. Um, if you don't get in touch with anybody, you can always email me at Stephen at Gimba.com. Very good. And uh, I've... Uh, I've known these guys for years. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, you know, I can't say that I've used you, but what I can say is that I've seen, and I know a lot of people who have used you and have been very satisfied. So if you are looking for product innovation uh, or any of these other services that what we talked about today, get in touch with Steven. Okay. So let's have a word from our sponsor and then we'll get back for the wheel. You've never seen the wheel. So we'll surprise you. <laughs> this good. episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by Rebate. Attention sellers and brand owners want to reach more shoppers and boost sales? Rebate's platform connects sellers with shoppers seeking great deals on new products. They make it easy to offer promotions, 
handle rebates, and ensure seamless redemptions. With countless reviews from satisfied customers, Rebate is the go-to solution to increase your sales. Visit Rebate.com today and start reaching more shoppers. Now let's get back to the show. First of all, I have a great idea for Gimba, and that is to make a Velcro wheel of Kelsey that's motorized where Kelsey can just <laughs> jump up there and, you know, point, and then he can turn on the motorized switch, and we have a mo – rather than this virtual stuff, why don't we have a real li live Wheel of Kelsey? What do you think? Let's let's work on it. I'll make it come okay. to life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Kelsey, start the you got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Let's start All the wheel. Right. Here is the Wheel of Kelsey. It's time for the Wheel of Kelsey. All right, here we go. Everyone for entering today's Wheel of Kelsey. Uh, we got a couple comments too from uh, Drip Fit saying it's a great uh, topic and conversation today and uh, just a bunch of thank yous happening in the comment section. So let's see who the winner is today. And uh, we do this every single podcast. So make sure you email it. If you are the it's winner, be a good one. email me k at lunchwithnorm.com. Just Justin, congratulations. All right, Justin from Facebook, please email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com, and we'll set you up with your prize. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, congrats. Yeah, and we do have comments about the, the wheel, so uh, the new wheel. Uh, let's see, what does it say? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I can't even read it. Put Kelsey, what does that say? There, I'll read it. I'll read it. All right. Uh, put Kelsey into a Velcro suit and he can jump onto a spinning wheel to pick the winner. <laughs> That's it. In fact, well, when we start? go to different events, we could do the live uh, Wheel of Kelsey show at different events. There we, there go. we go. All right. <laughs> All right. Steven, one o'clock in China. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, taking part in this. I told you, you know, on that uh, on that boat that we're going to get you on. So we finally did. And uh, I, appreciate I that guess very much. I guess I'll see you in Austin one of these days. Want more great information? Don't forget to subscribe by clicking here. Also, if you want to check out our latest podcast, click over here. Lunch with the, lunch with the, lunch with the.